Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG, online at kpcg.fm as well. Coming up on today's program, look at some headlines, including some uh, some uh, weather that's pretty uh, intense on the East Coast. Uh, a few other interesting notes as well about uh, health, some new data that's out, so we'll take a look uh, at that. Also, preview what's coming up on the uh, Trumpet Daily Radio Show and look at the trumpet.com and continue to look at uh, some of the laws of success all want to be successful. There are laws to it. That and more in this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live. We're at 101.3 KPCG, and we're online, too, at kpcg.fm. We have a live link at thetrumpet.com. You can follow us on Twitter at kpcgfm, and if you'd like to email us, please send those comments to comments at kpcg.fm. Dwight Falk and Grant Turgeon with you here today. Uh, yesterday, yesterday was uh, Wednesday, we, had, we, we didn't do our normal live show. As the astute listeners would realize, uh, we had the heating. We had a heating problem in the building. It was cold. Came into work and it was like 50 degrees in here. So <laughs> we had to get some things fixed. But uh, thankfully, it's warming up here in Oklahoma. Still chilly, but not not as uh, cold as it is in some places uh, like the East Coast. They're getting just blasted out there. There's a pretty severe winter storm going through. It's so serious. It's called a bomb cyclone. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> Never heard of anything like that, but it seems really fitting just because of the destruction it's caused and even just the amount of people it's killed. Yeah, there's already been at least 12 people killed in the storm. So making big headlines today. Bomb cyclone, this is from Fox News. Bomb cyclone winter storm brings snow. Fierce winds to northeast is a bitter cold to follow. They say a rapidly intensifying winter storm system known as a bomb cyclone Tar- uh, this sounds cool. Uh, targeted the northeast uh, Thursday with snow, ice, bone-chilling winds, and central air pressure similar to that of the devastating superstorm Sandy. If uh, you remember a f- few years back, they had that massive superstorm Sandy that came through and like took out the whole east coast pretty much as far as uh, severe storms. You know, there was freezing. There was like hurricane force winds, and then there was blizzards. It was like the whole thing. So they're looking at the data for this. And they're saying um, it could be something similar. Um, it's going to issue, issue uh, sorry, usher in life-threatening temperatures this weekend. Uh, they say this could be one of the strongest offshore storms we've ever experienced with a central pressure in the 950s. I'm not a meteorologist, but that sound, 950s, I guess, is a number that would really spark interest if you knew what that meant. And any time it's unprecedented, that that stands out to even those of us who might be more ignorant on the topic. Yeah, <laughs> the national. I should have I should have researched it, so I, I sound like I knew what I was saying. Uh, the National <laughs> Weather Service issued blizzard warnings for parts of Delaware, Virginia, Maryland, coastal New Jersey, Long Island, New York, and coastal eastern North uh, New England. Most of those areas could see at least a foot of snow. Nearly two feet of snow was projected in some uh, other locations further north. So. Other headlines saying, as we mentioned, at least 12 dead in that storm to this point. Wind gusts as strong as 60 miles an hour. If you get a blizzard and you get 60 miles an hour wind, uh, that's pretty severe. 
uh, the visibility is about zero on Long Island, they say, and weather is disrupting more than 2,800 flights. So if you have to fly to that region or out of that region over the next day or two, um, probably not going to happen. Yeah, that's that's a pretty tough side effect of something like that. Obviously, a lot of people are going to be affected. Um, at least these are just travel plans and not necessarily uh, people's homes, but I'm sure that's being affected as well. A lot of people are just not going to be able to get where they're trying to go. Uh, it's going to hurt businesses probably, missing meetings and such, but that's just how these things go. You have no control over it. You just have to react. East Coast blizzards and travel uh, stoppages make me think of the Boston Celtics and Larry Bird, and here's why. <laughs> There's a famous story, I guess, of uh, they were traveling. I don't know who they were going to go play, but somebody, and they got stuck at the airport in a blizzard, and they were sitting there all day, and they had nothing to eat but hot dogs from the airport. So they spent their day eating hot dogs, <coughs> and then they were late on the flight. And I think back then... This is a mid eighties, you know. I don't think they flew necessarily uh, private planes, so they were they're kind of cramped anyway. And tall guys, so they show up to the uh, wherever they were playing, and uh, and Larry Bird was very upset from having to eat hot dogs all day and sit in an airport. And so he told the other team he was going to take out his anger on them. And then he went out and he destroyed them. <laughs> I see he scored like forty points or fifty points. So that's the famous hot dog story from from Larry Bird. Uh, so anyway, if uh, if uh, some people get stuck in weather, they take out their anger in different ways. Yeah, the stories about him are just absolutely legendary. He was in a three point contest and he walked into the locker room and he for a long time he was just silent and staring at all the other contestants. He said, oh, don't mind me. I was just looking at who was going to finish in second place. Confidence. <laughs> he had, but, he, but he had the ability to back it up. Uh, there's other weather issues going on, or I guess natural uh, phenomenon issues. There's a 4.4 earthquake in uh, the Bay Area out there in California. So just anytime there's some rumbling in that area, people take note. Uh, also, Mount St. Helens is rumbling again. They've had four more earth, four times more quakes than usual, and the second strongest shake since 1981 has been recorded. So, Mount, you know, Mount St. Helens uh, blew up a while back, <laughs> years back, but uh, uh, my wife was living in the area at the time. She remembers that when it blew up. It's so strange to think of that being up there in the Pacific Northwest because usually you think of a volcano being in, like, a Pacific island, and, and now we just have one in one of our states. Every, every uh, so often it blows up, and comes comes raining down on the nearby towns so uh, it's just kind of hard to picture that happening in the u.s the you know, the um pike's place market which is a famous market there in seattle they have the little shops and things and one of them they sell uh like artwork figurines of certain things in that area and it's made out of the mount st helens uh i guess the really? debris that blew out that's what they claim probably worth a lot at this point probably a lot of people coming into town would find that valuable and then people who actually live there are not so impressed what this stuff again <laughs> yeah we we bought some stuff a couple of little items because uh, they're neat <laughs> neat little statues and it was mount st helen stuff so i took their word for it they went why would they lie to me about that <laughs> i have no idea why they might lie. where did you where did you get all this where did you get all the mount st helen stuff from <laughs> so anyway that's uh something to maybe pay attention to there on the uh West Coast. Uh, here's a musical note that might be interesting. Finally, after all these years, rap overtakes rock as the most popular genre among music fans. 
So, That's what we were waiting for. We've all been waiting <laughs> for the first time ever. R and B slash hip hop has surpassed rock to become the biggest music genre in the U.S. in terms of total consumption, according to Nielsen Music's 2017 year-end report. Album and song sales were down overall in 2017, dropping 19 percent from the year before. But streaming surged in their wake, growing 43 percent with 400 billion streams total compared with $252 billion in 2016. So most people stream music these days, and uh, most of them like the rap and the hip-hop. So uh, there it is. Really not surprising. I'm, I actually thought it might have been overtaken, or rock might have been overtaken sooner than this, because ev- everywhere you turn, there's pretty much uh, hip-hop playing somewhere. Uh, if you go to an NBA game or you're watching it on TV, you'll hear those songs constantly, and uh, it doesn't really fit with what i what i picture with oklahoma at least but that's what's always playing yeah it is I, i'm surprised i i guess i would have thought country music would have been a little more popular mm. because that seems like that's a really popular genre i'm sure it is but anyway rap overtakes rock we were <laughs> i took my wife out to a restaurant the other night and uh it was a nice place i thought and then but the, the music was irritating it was mm. just all this rap constantly <clears throat> and uh which you know I guess uh, it was a little distracting. I didn't care for that. But what was really strange is, uh, you know, when you think about, say, music playing, and you think about it from, like, a radio perspective, there has to be a certain flow to it. It can't, it has to make sense, like, one, why one song goes into the next. So they're playing all these rap songs, and then all of a sudden, uh, If I Could Save Time in a Bottle came on. <laughs> and then it went back to rap. And I was just what? like, what? Why did that happen? It was very, very strange. Someone's... <laughs> True preferences accidentally slipped into that playlist there. <laughs> yeah, it was just this random 70s soft rock song in the middle of all these rap songs. It was very uh, disconcerting. I had a little indigestion after that. I wonder if that's why. Well, probably. Me I mean, they, the way that they uh, play music at a restaurant, usually it does set the tone. It, it's it's a big part of the atmosphere at a place. And so if it's terrible, it's going to affect the experience somehow. Yeah, and it, it was kind of a decent restaurant. I guess it would be considered a little more on the hip side, and maybe that's why they were playing it, but I just thought, well, I, I would guess most people in here aren't real thrilled because you're just trying to have a little conversation. I like a little background music, but, I mean, especially when you stop and you listen to some of the words, you're like, what? What did they just say to me? <laughs> that's not appropriate. Thankfully, we didn't have the kids with us because for the kids, that would have been a little rough. Yeah, I was at a place uh, downtown recently, and uh, every... Like every other TV, there's a lot of TVs in this place. Every other TV was tuned to MTV, and it was on full blast and uh, pretty inappropriate stuff, a lot of it. It's just not what you would expect because it's like a restaurant, but it's also a place where you can play arcade games and stuff like that. So it didn't really seem like that would be the place to do something like that. Yeah, it's uh, it can be, be stuff you don't want to see yourself or see your, have your kids see for sure. Well, what's really popular for a lot of people today is these, uh, they're called Fitbits. You might have heard of them or something similar to it. And, uh, you know, you wear it around your wrist usually or something, and it, it, it records everything you do that day within certain parameters. And it records your sleep too, which I never understood how it knows. I guess your pulse and a few other things. But how do you know when I'm sleeping? I think your heart rate goes down yeah. drastically. Um, there's There's like even tests for... I think Navy SEALs during their hell week where they have to stay awake for a couple or a few days straight mm. and they know because uh, they they have something on them that's tracking their heart rate. Oh, that's very interesting. And then they go chase that person down and wake them up if they fell asleep. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I have a slow beating heart, guys. <laughs> 
So they took all this data and they came up with a sleeping report. This is an exclusive. What Fitbit's six billion nights of sleep data reveals about us. So they say since Fitbit began tracking sleep stages in March 2017, it has collected data from six billion nights of its customer's sleep. This is a gold mine, they say, by far the largest set of sleep data ever assembled. Which, if you think about it, <clears throat> I think in a lot of cases in the past, if if they wanted to find out about sleeping habits, people would have to be part of a study. You know, you have to sleep in a particular spot, and you're not going to get all that much info because not that many people are going to do it. But here they have six billion nights collectively from people sleeping at home in their normal parameters, normal situations. They say, don't worry, they haven't recorded your name. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know why it would matter anyway, you know. Uh, how much you're sleeping or not. but you get uh, in trouble for that yeah, somehow. Yeah, can you get in trouble for that? <laughs> you didn't sleep last night. But they found out a lot of information. Here's some of what they found out. Sleep stages, men versus women. Uh, men usually sleep six hours and 26 minutes per night. Women sleep six hours and 50 minutes per night. So they're getting, uh, oh, well, 24 minutes more sleep, which is that's kind of interesting. Not, not if they have a baby, they're not. Because <laughs> they have to get up a lot. Very true, yeah. Uh, it's That's really not a lot for either gender either, yeah. to, ha- to have less than seven when uh, usually eight is recommended for most people. Yeah, and of course you know there's going to be people on really either side of that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for, As far as REM sleep goes, tw- men get 21% of their sleep as REM sleep, women 22%. Light sleep, and the REM, of course, is some of that deeper, uh, I guess, rapid eye movement sleep, um, where you're, I think you're dreaming or something. Uh, light sleep, men, 52% of their sleep is light, same for women. Deep sleep is the same 15% uh, piece. So the numbers are really close to the way men and women sleep. It's just that women are getting a little bit more on average. They looked at old versus young. Getting older also affects your sleep. They say um, you can see from the different graphs and so forth that they have that we get less deep sleep as we age. When you're 20, you're getting half an hour more sleep, deep sleep, at night than when you're 70. So as I've gotten older, I find that to be true. I don't sleep as deeply as I used to. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just because you have more on your mind maybe. I'm not sure, but I found that to be true. Yeah, it seems like it would be true, especially uh, from a lot of elderly people I talk to and they, they seem to sleep like four hours a night maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they do it. They just uh, don't really seem to need as much anymore. Yeah, and, and you know sometimes there could be some aches and pains there too that might keep you up a little bit. Uh, they looked at north versus south. They say it's true northerners go to bed five minutes earlier than southerners, but then they wake up earlier too. That may seem like a very small difference, they say, but on the scale of billions of data points, it's significant. On the other hand, uh, the statistics can be somewhat tricky, I guess, looking at that because, you know, big cities are a little different than smaller cities. But on average, in the north, they go to bed a little earlier, get up a little earlier for whatever that's worth. East versus west. East coasters, according to the data, stay up seven minutes later than west coasters and wake up five minutes later, too. It's because they have to stay up later and watch all the TV shows. Very true. That's that's exactly what it is. It's tough to live on the East Coast. Even even for us being an hour behind them, we're still two hours ahead of a whole lot of the country. And so if you're trying to watch any event that's taking place on the West Coast, it doesn't start till 9 or 9.30 in a lot of cases, even for us. For them, it's 10 or 10.30. Right. Yeah, it's interesting being on the West Coast. If I travel out there, um, I always feel like I'm ahead of the game. Yeah, you know, I'm like, hey, they, you know, the stuff I was going to do is done with. <laughs> and I now I've got this extra time. Uh, the national bedtime 
What do you think the national average bedtime is? Mm. 10, 15. 11.21 p.m. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty late for the average. I thought I was going a little too high. That's just absolutely shocking. Yeah, the average American goes to bed at 11.21 p.m. Wow, no wonder we're only getting six hours, six and a half hours of sleep. If you get six and a half a night, you know what time are you getting up at? Uh, like uh, close to yeah. seven, I guess. Yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah. So, uh, or close six, to, close to six, close to yeah. six. Yeah. Depending on where you are in that average, but that's pretty late for bedtime. I've heard too, and I haven't <clears throat> totally looked into this, but I've heard that like the sleep you get between ten and midnight is some really valuable sleep. Um, so. You know, if you're going to bed at eleven twenty one, that's not uh that's you've kind of missed some of that. And I don't know too many I don't know too many people that can just put their head on the pillow and fall asleep. It usually takes me, I don't know, depending on the day, ten, fifteen minutes before I think I fall asleep. I don't know. All of a sudden I wake up and something <laughs> happened. But it seems like it takes me a little bit. Exactly. And it is harder to fall asleep too if we're staring at a brightly lit screen yeah. right before bed that's recommended to try to at least be away from that for about half an hour so that you can wind down otherwise you're just wired from all the exciting things you've seen on the screen yeah you know it's so fascinating is this data is obviously from fitbit so it's it's modern data it'd be interesting to look at this data in comparison to say pre-internet pre-smartphones you know, I bet we'd be sleeping more mm-hmm. because, like you say, that's <clears throat> I think where a lot of that time is going. And, you know, because it's like, OK, hey, I'm done with the day. I'm ready to go to bed. Let me just get on the net real quick and check something out. And then 45 minutes later, there you are. And I think, you know, if you didn't have that distraction, um, it'd be easier to fall asleep. Burnout is a huge problem among many people today. And that's just a, a culmination of going to bed too late, waking up too early. Uh, you, too much screen time while you are awake. All those things uh, lead to people just becoming pretty much permanently exhausted. Yeah, and it's hard to recover from that. They say consistency is really important. This is an interesting point. The biggest finding in Fitbit's data <clears throat> may be the link between sleep quality and bedtime consistency. Uh, the problem is that bedtimes vary quite a bit. In America, it, it varies a lot by an average of 64 minutes. Uh, they say a person might go to bed at 11 p.m. on weeknights, but then they stay up until after midnight on the weekends. Mm. The Fitbit data shows that your sleep suffers as a result. If your bedtime varies by two hours over the week, you'll average half an hour of sleep um, a night less than someone whose bedtime varies by only 30 minutes. So you end up always kind of on the short end of the stick if you're varying your bedtime and I found that too, especially as I've gotten older, that if I do happen to stay up later on a weekend, then I have a harder time getting to bed on Sunday night for Monday. And so I, I think there's a lot to that. And then you end up feeling that going into the work week. Like you, you might have gone into a weekend thinking that this was your chance to get refreshed, but then Saturday night comes around, it's pretty hard to go to bed at a normal time, and all of a sudden you haven't really gain too much from the weekend like you thought you were going to. Yeah, maybe maybe didn't recharge quite as much. So anyway, interesting sleep data there. Here's another interesting story uh, in relation to, I guess, technology. The irrational desire, they say, driving millennials and Generation Z into depression. You're a millennial, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I'm Gen X. <laughs> I, I look I look down at you from my perch of <laughs> olderness. 
You just barely passed <laughs> just the barely. line too, right? Yeah, just barely. It's a pretty big uh, gap there. Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, when when they were talking about Generation X and people being in their mid twenties, I was a teenager, so I'm I'm right on the cusp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but anyway, this and this could could apply to anybody, but particularly it's affecting millennials and Generation Z. They they have an irrational desire driving them into depression. I don't think this will surprise anybody. Uh, what do you think this irrational desire is that's making them depressed? Screens, social media. Yep. It's the the uh, desire to be perfect, mm. to be considered perfect by people. Kids these days are more obsessed with perfection than many previous generations were, and this obsession is associated with increased depression and anxiety, according to a new study published in the Psychological Bulletin, which, of course, I get every month. <laughs> uh, I don't. I just saw this. <clears throat> they have a name for it, uh, which is fine, I guess, but I think they have some good points. Neoliberalism, that's what they're calling it. Ooh. Yeah. That was the name of a band I had in college. Just kidding. <laughs> I always, that's my standard joke. Neoliberalism and its doctrine of media. Uh, meritocracy, sorry, have combined to shape a culture in which everybody is expected to perfect themselves and their lifestyles. There's nothing wrong with wanting to improve, but this is getting, you know, a little uh, unrealistic. They say for parents, this new culture um, confers an additional burden on top of their own duty to succeed, and their kids also have to be perceived as perfect. And the whole world's watching, in their minds anyway. Well, there is a healthy uh, way of uh, trying to be perfect or even if it's not necessarily healthy, it doesn't lead to depression. I yeah. think of people like Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant who were just absolutely obsessed with being the greatest basketball player to ever live. And they were trying to do that to improve themselves, not to be necessarily perceived by other people as perfect while hiding what's underneath the surface, which is sort of what happens on social media. You post the greatest things about you. You try to make your life seem shiny and sparkly so that everyone admires it but then then you might have a bunch of other things that you don't post about that reveal how miserable your life might actually be yeah and it's uh it's vanity you know and that never leads to positive things they say when self-consciousness and perfectionism increase <clears throat> anxiety <clears throat> excuse me and depression increase as well they go hand in hand uh they say the things that kids post on instagram and snapchat are their celebratory moments <laughs> The po- uh, they post moments of when they're having fun or when they're looking good in their estimation. <laughs> they could take hundreds of selfies before they post the perfect one on Instagram. You know, that's your day, right? Taking a bunch of pictures of yourself, looking at yourself, where do I look good, putting it up and then seeing what the feedback is. That's that- a very <laughs> self-centered day. That's a navel-gazing day. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's time-consuming, too. Even uh, I don't have experience with that, but I have definitely seen people trying to uh, come up with the right picture. I've seen that in public a lot. And then uh, they flip through like 50 different filters to try to get the, the lighting just right on the picture and all that. It, it is, uh, I guess it is all about the perception and not the reality. If you're trying to become perfect and actually be become perfect, that's a good thing. But to be seen as perfect while hiding all of your actual real life issues is very stressful and we see here depressing. Yeah, and in most cases, the the one of the well, the main thing I guess is looking good, mm-hmm. you know, and then looking like your life is great as well. But looking good, and uh, but it's also uh, self centered, self focused, and that no, no wonder people are depressed. You can't go through life just thinking about yourself constantly and be happy. You know, it's a 
it's a, a really interesting time for uh, young people in particular. And, of course, the older generations just don't do it as much. They're not into it as much. Uh, you know, you don't see a lot of people in their 70s, you know, taking pictures of themselves, <laughs> putting them online, <laughs> unless it's their grandkids or something. But, I mean, it's not the same. You're not, you're not thinking the same or, uh, you know, trying to live that same way. So um, they're not as affected. But it's going to be just really interesting as time goes on to see what happens to people that spend their, their youth and uh, doing these things. And then what do you do in your 20s, 30s, 40s? Uh, what, what, what type of people do you become? Well, our culture has seemed to transition from actually doing things and accomplishing good things to spectating while other people do good things. And a lot of the time what that can do to us is make us feel woefully inadequate in our own lives because we're seeing someone out there, you know, conquering the wild for 40 days or whatever the show, the given show might be starting, starting a restaurant and getting all these customers, whatever the show is, you're watching all these people attain great successes in their lives while obviously while you're watching TV, not accomplishing much yourself. Yeah. It's uh it's definitely a different, uh, different generation. Yeah. It's funny how, I guess even before social media took off, there was that real swing to, like you say, the uh, reality TV shows, those became the popular ones. And uh, very much about, you know, quote unquote, everyday people doing things and so forth. And then, of course, now everybody wants to be a reality star. I mean, there are people out there who for now their career, and I don't think it'll be a long lived career, but they're Internet people. (laughs) They don't really do anything other than take pictures of themselves or or where they are. And they put that up and that's their job. They're famous for being on the Internet. And so people are kind of creating their own little celebrity worlds and uh but everybody's trying to do that some have a little more success than others but as this is pointing out it's leading to a lot of uh depression and uh this irrational thinking and anxiety and uh not a lot of positive fruits it's a superficial society it's all about what we look like and not actually building substance of character that can truly uh positively benefit other people not just making ourselves look good, not just glorifying ourselves, but being a blessing to our families, being a blessing to our friends, people we work with, uh, people in our community. Uh, that, that used to be the focus uh, in American life. That was what men and women aspired to do, was to be a benefit to everyone around them. Uh, now it's like, look at me, this is what I've done. Uh, and we all start comparing each other to each other and feeling inadequate when we fall short. Yeah, I mean it's I think the human the human thinking hasn't necessarily gotten, you know, different. There's still the same vanity. It's just now that instead of, you know, you have a circle of 30 people, you know, or whatever <laughs> from class or somewhere. Now now the whole world. Now you, everybody knows everybody in a sense. I mean, you put yourself out there for the world to see. So it's a it's just magnified the issues. Here's one other uh, story that's interesting. Uh, this is from the National Interest. Uh, North Korea bombed itself with failed missile test, according to a report. Uh, North Korea tested new a new intermediate-range ballistic missile six times last year. The first three tests ended in failure. One of them, uh, they bombed one of their towns because it didn't work out, so they're just getting reports. It's hard to get information on North Korea, but they bombed themselves. That's just uh, That just says all you need to know about North Korea and and what a failed state they are and uh, just how psychotic their leader is to 
constantly be carrying out these tests without any regard for his own nation, his own people. He's neglecting his own people. They're starving to death. They're in labor camps. Their towns are getting bombed by their own leader because he is obsessed with attacking the United States and obviously leaving the rest of that uh, to rot. Yeah, I mean, imagine the fear. Now, <clears throat> of course, there's it's so so much propaganda there in that country. You don't really know, I guess, what people are thinking. But but if you knew that they're launching these missiles and it could land on your town, I mean, that'd be horrifying. I'm sure they don't get many reports about it if they're not in that town. But still, word of mouth, you think it would spread around? They say the missile was fired out of uh, Pukchang Airfield and it landed on what appears to be there an agricultural or industrial complex in the North Korean city of Takchun. As the liquid-fueled missile did not, according to U.S. government sources, explode in flight, there is a reason to believe that the missile exploded when it slammed into the earth, causing considerable damage. The full extent of the damage is unknown, but satellite images show a clear difference between the immediate before and after pictures of the facility believed to have been hit by the failed missile. So they don't get, obviously, any news reports coming out of there, but satellite imagery shows that place looks worse after the fact, so it looks like it blew up. As if North Korean agriculture and industry could have afforded to take a hit, too. I mean, they're they're hurting themselves when their economy is probably the worst in the whole world because they're completely dependent on China's support to even exist right now and pretty much always have been. But now they're they're launching missiles at their complexes that are producing for the people. Yeah, it's and it would be really tough because you know you you wouldn't want to be the one responsible for it not working cuz people have a way of disappearing over <laughs> there and uh I can't imagine the tension in the room when you have to go report back that yeah we blew up our own town. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't I don't know that anybody would take the f- the blame for that. I'm sure they'd want to blame the guy next to him because uh, I don't know what what would the leader do? What would Kim, Kim Jong Un do over there? You know, if he heard, if he found out about that, I guess he'd. It's hard to say, but it just seems like when you see those pictures of him and all of his military guys inevitably the next month like somebody's not in the picture <laughs> because something <laughs> bad happened so uh, just a, just you feel really bad for those people on every level of society because uh it's just a terrible existence would that be worth just not reporting back to the supreme leader just maybe blaming it on the u.s <laughs> that yeah. seems like i mean obviously someone's probably going to die if they report that back so why not just blame it on the hated enemy here well it reminds me of you know when you read about say communist china or not China, but Russia, rather. Uh, and maybe China, too, but Russia, where, uh, you know, Stalin wanted people to go out and build bridges and things, and he put people out there that didn't know how to build bridges. But they didn't want to admit that things weren't working, so they'd always report back a lie. Oh, yeah, it went great, and we did twice the work that you thought possible. And so he would be like, oh, this is amazing. And they'd say, well, then make double the amount. <laughs> and nobody, they, It was just a complete, like, everyone was lying to everybody to save their own mm. necks. And it was just a failed situation, obviously. Wow. And so uh, it reminds me of North Korea, but it's a communist sort of thing where, you know, uh, there's just a lot of, you're not really looking at what's actually being produced. You know, it's this idea that everyone's going to pitch in and make this great economy, but it never goes that way. It just turns into fear of the leader and fear of death or a labor camp. So you try to save your own skin. That's what it comes down to. Instead of Instead of everyone truly altruistically uh, working together to form a better society, it just becomes total incompetence because even the idea of communism is that 
the wealth is spread around totally evenly. The government has control over everything. So there's no there's no ambition to even learn skills that are useful. Uh, so, of course, you're going to have a lot of non-skilled laborers doing jobs that take skills that they don't have. <laughs> That's always funny, too, when you when you look at like communism or socialism and uh, the idea being that oh, everyone's going to you know share equally. You know, do people ever stop and say, but the guy that's leading, though, like he has a really big houses. It's not so equal, and is I it? Don't, it doesn't feel like the rest of us have <laughs> the same stuff that he has. <laughs> uh, but that's always the way it goes. There's always somebody at the top that's taking it. And, of course, then when the Soviet Union fell apart um, in the early 90s, then a bunch of people jumped in there and started making all kinds of money, including Vladimir Putin. Mm. He made a lot of money as well, sort of uh, under the radar. Uh, through some uh, nefarious means, and so that that when that broke apart, people that were smart enough to do it really plundered the system. Because say, Russia, I mean, they have a lot of uh, uh, resources. It's just what do you do with them, you know? And, and so there's a lot of people that made money there, including Vladimir Putin. So uh, yeah. I actually heard a really uh, funny clip from Mark Levin. He's a conservative commentator, and he was actually saying some pretty similar things about. Le- rich leftists in America, like like Barack Obama, Joe Biden, uh, Bernie Sanders, yeah. uh, John Kerry, Hillary Clinton, they're all doing very, very well while cursing the rich. It's like, or Al Gore is another example. All these people who curse the rich yet won't give up their own riches uh, to back up what they say. Right, that's like the... Uh I don't know that they still attack this as much, but the the 1%, you know, the, we're going after the 1% and the politician, I don't know technically if they're part of the 1%, but they're part of the 5% <laughs> or it's somewhere up there. And, and it's like, yeah, but you're, you're doing okay. Mm-hmm. You don't see, you don't see too many come up there in rags. Uh, it's usually, usually not the case. <laughs> uh, make sure you stop and check out the trumpet.com today. Top story is the Pope's dangerous double standard by Andrew Miller. What's behind the Pope's support for a two-state solution? He's come out there and talked about the Middle East, and he uh, he throws his ideas out there as far as what he wants to see. The two-state solution, uh, they've been working on that one for a long time, and it just hasn't worked. It's never worked. You know, this is this the year <laughs> that it finally <laughs> works? I think uh, most people know that it doesn't. it's not going to work. But uh, even those that are supporting the idea of a quote-unquote two-state solution usually have their own their own uh, desires behind that uh, veil. I forget who it was, but some prominent figure actually called for the Pope to either resign or repent because of all these policies that he's now pushing. I mean, to say that a two-state solution would ever work is just completely unrealistic, yet that's what he goes for. He says that America should not build a wall on its southern border. They should build bridges instead. All these all these things that he's doing, being anti-capitalist and pretty much pro-communist uh yeah he's he's a pretty much a a left-wing pope isn't he well it's interesting you remember president trump came out when he made the wall comment and said well you got walls around the vatican (laughs) and uh well it's but it's the same with a two-state solution does he want an another group that really disagrees with him you know taking over half of his area oh you guys would be peaceful just live there together no big deal of course not it's the same it's you see that with a lot of things where uh it was talked about the other day on the Trump Daily Radio show about Baltimore, you know. It's easy for politicians to say, you know, ah, we don't care, we don't want police in there, but they don't live there. They don't have to deal with the crime. 
the police are patrolling their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So you look at a lot of these situations, and it's it's sort of the, I'll tell you how to live, but don't look at what I'm doing. Well, what if, like you said, what if uh, the Vatican were split down the middle, and he put some sort of uh, radical Islamist group on the other half, and occasionally they launched missile, missiles into his side, and he was always in danger of being hit by them. Probably he'd realize pretty quickly that uh, you can talk about the issue from afar, but as soon as you put yourself in that situation, it's very clear, very obvious that what he is talking about won't work. You know, I think really anytime somebody comes up with an idea and they're pushing something that you know they wouldn't do themselves, I mean, the response really should be, why don't you do it first and show us as an example how this works? And then we can follow your example. That's what leaders should be doing. Right. They, I mean, they can lecture all they want to, but they lose credibility every single day around the world when they keep on telling people to do things that we all know they would never do in their own lives. Yeah. If it's such a great deal or such a great idea, do it yourself first. And then, then we'll see how it works and then we'll be able to emulate it. <laughs> <laughs> never mind that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> related to, uh, Today's top story is another story right below it there at thetrumpet.com, the dark side of the Pope's visit to Jerusalem. Uh, I think that was from uh, uh, relating to an incident from a few years ago. So make sure you check out uh, those stories there. They're at thetrumpet.com. Also, the Trumpet Daily Radio Show today, uh, Andrew Loker filling in for your regular host, Stephen Fleury. You don't hear from him too often on that, but he's on there today. Uh, we can advertise it as a rarity. You know, you don't miss this rare opportunity. <laughs> Uh, he talked a great show about the economy and uh, some of what you can expect to see coming up in 2018. And uh, there's, of course, there's new tax laws and there's lots of things going on. Uh, so make sure you listen for that program. Also, the uh, there's some headlines about the economy today. One of them is boom, Dow, 25,000. Uh, private sector adds 250,000 jobs in December. Job cut announcements lowest since 1990. So... And there's stories about manufacturing improving. There's a lot of growth and development on some level in the U.S. that you can look at right now. And, uh, you know, that may continue for some time. Don't, of course, know for sure. But then there's other stories talking about, you know, uh, here's some things that could turn the uh, <laughs> turn the uh, uh, economy upside down. So the underlying principles of debt and so forth are still not good. So it's just going to be fascinating to watch 2018 economically and see what happens. A lot of the upswing in the economy can legitimately be credited to President Trump, which is undermining a whole lot of his critics. But like you said, uh, a lot of us are getting into some risky financial practices, uh, buying on debt, piling up our debt, uh, letting letting certain bubbles grow too large until they burst. It's just we haven't really changed many of our behaviors that led to the last collapse in, what was that, 2008? Yeah. So it's going to be an interesting year ahead. Anytime things just really start uh, taking off, <laughs> uh, I guess just because of the world we live in, you tend to think like, eh, this can't last because <laughs> usually something something gives on it. Now, and, and there was an interesting write-up I was looking at talking about a few things that could conceivably happen in 2018 economically. And, of course, there's a threat if a war broke out or something like that that would change things. Um, but then also just the fact that, you know, they are putting America first here, which is is going to benefit the U.S. for a time. But then what? how do other nations react to that? We have this global economy. And there's a lot on the Trumpet.com about that as well. So even though there is some benefit to what's happening to in the U.S. now on some levels, uh, 
we are intertwined with the other other powers and they owe you know china for sure uh europe um you know, if it's America first, well, then it's Germany first. Well, then it's China first, too. And that, and they've been that way anyway. <laughs> We're just late to the party. But still, then we have a trade war going. Very true. And it would seem that if we are going to be America first in our trade policies, it would probably take some sort of commitment militarily to back that up so that you can't have certain nations getting belligerent and trying to freeze you out and basically besiege you uh, through other trade alliances those 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 sorts of alliances are already forming in in Europe, even in South America and Asia, um, and we're just sort of sitting back and watching ourselves become isolated instead of using some sort of force or giving some sort of threat to say we will not tolerate you isolating us like this. We're too powerful to let that happen. Yeah, and what we've seen, and we see now, is a difference in the U.S. where the current president will speak his mind and and will put America's interests first and I think is good at pinpointing problems but then what are you going to do about it you know what are we going to do about North Korea what are we going to do about uh you know any of these other situations that could creep up that's what the world's waiting to see you know, that's the they have the button uh, controversy. <laughs> Kim, Kim Jong Un said he has a button, and President Trump will have a bigger button, and, you know, which is true. He, he does actually, but uh, you know, that's a lot of talk. But what are you going to do about it? That's mm-hmm. that that's the question. So a lot of uh, and that's that was talked about in a trumpet brief recently too about the prestige of America. Well, he said a lot of things, but now what are we going to do? What a nightmare time to be the president of this country. Well. The other nations are swarming. They're like sharks in the water when there's blood because they see America has been weakened over the last couple decades, especially during the last administration. And some of that damage is so extreme that you just can't even reverse it anyway, no matter what you try to to do. And then, of course, that's leaving out the fact that self-reliance isn't going to work anyway. There's no physical way to solve all the problems that we have stacked up on our front doorstep. But also, uh, we're not looking to the spiritual solution either. We we're not, we don't see any sort of end game to this, whether it's physically or spiritually. Yeah, and that's what you end up seeing is, boy, what are you going to do with all these problems? And and that's where we've had some great leaders in the past, like President Lincoln, who would go back at least in principle and try to look at the Bible and look at what God said, and 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 uh, you know admit that there was a God and we needed to be obeying him the best that we understood how to. Uh, but you don't hear that talk anymore. Not really. You know, there there is certain religious movements, but you don't really hear much about that today. Uh, we were talking about the seven laws of success. This is a uh, great free booklet at thetrumpet.com. Uh, and it goes through seven laws that uh, show uh, how to be successful. And this was hit on even a little bit today on the Trumpet Daily Radio Show. Uh, the point being that, you know, even if the economies kind of jump up and down, uh, if you're applying God's laws of success, you can have success in your life. And we're talking about the third law of success today, a very important one, uh, also ties into some of the other stories about sleep and so forth, is uh, good health. Uh, you can't be successful in life if your health is bad. Uh, you know how it is if you've ever been sick, and I think that's <laughs> probably everybody. Uh, you can be going going gangbusters one day, as they say, getting a bunch of stuff done, and you wake up sick the next day and uh Depending on how bad it is, you can't do anything. <laughs> so good health is essential in our pursuit of success. And if we look at it a certain way, it is also 
like the foundation for our mental and spiritual health too, because if we don't have the energy to produce things, we're just going to be, like you said, we're going to be curled up in bed. We're going to be exhausted and, you know, just, just kind of wishing we could sleep all day instead of doing things that are good and, and reading and developing our minds, uh, growing in character, whatever, whatever it might be, those things are extremely hindered when the way you feel is you just want to go to sleep. Yeah. Can't, can't concentrate if you're not feeling well, most cases. And, uh, Mr. Armstrong who wrote this book, he points out that man is just what he eats. So when we're thinking about health, that's, uh, the old expression, we are, what we eat and it's true. He said some of the most famous physicians and surgeons have said that 90 to 95 percent of all sickness and disease comes from a faulty diet. And there, and I think that's known, you know. But uh, even if you watch some of these uh, advertisements you see for the new medications that are out there, they do sort of uh, they do sort of try to say that the diet's not that important. They'll, they'll usually throw in a little like yeah, proper diet, but then the other four minutes is about the pill or about the the medication that you should be taking. Which, as you know, the side effects list is, you, it's like, are you serious? How could this be possible? Who would ever put that in their body, <laughs> considering just the side effects of it? Uh, and there was one a while ago, I remember, where uh, it was a person eating like one pea, or they ate one carrot, or they did one push-up, and they're like, you know, uh, wouldn't it be nice if you could do this one thing and it would solve all these problems? And then they were selling their pill, and I, I always felt like, well, the the slant on that is yeah diet and exercise isn't as important well you can't just you can't just do one tiny little thing right you have you got to live right and that includes uh, proper nutrition and proper eating well the funny thing about that commercial is that just by doing that one thing enough whether it's the push-ups or the peas or the carrots that's actually going to help you a whole lot more than taking one pill uh, for sure changing lifestyle habits is going to do more than so- a supposed magical pill ever could yeah, and I, I was thinking about that commercial that the most important thing you could do is not take that one pill <laughs> because of the side effects. It's crazy, the stuff that, that I even saw a, um, a headline yesterday, and I didn't read the story, but it just was talking about some new cancer treatment, and it said, like, the surprising side effects, you know. Um, they, they, it's kind of an experimentation, like, what are we going to do here? And, and these are terrible diseases that are in the U.S. today. I mean, we don't see necessarily the same diseases we saw in the past. Like we don't see um, influenza wipe out huge swaths of the population, although it does, it, it can be deadly. Uh, we don't see like polio running wild, but what do we see today? Diseases that we probably just ate, which would be cancer, which would be, you name it. I'm not saying every case, there's a lot of different things that go into it, but it gets back to faulty diet, diabetes, obviously a lot of those things is what we put in our bodies. And it, just think about how expensive it is to feel like you have to take a, a couple dozen pills. I've I've known of people like that who might work in a store or, or someplace like that where it's not even particularly the most high-paying job, but then you have to have all these prescriptions to deal with health health issues. I mean, most of us don't even have enough money to pay for a couple dozen prescriptions, especially if you're working a, a lower-paying job like that. Uh, so being dependent on these pills that have 50 side effects each instead of just doing what it takes, uh, getting the right sleep, drinking enough water, eating right, exercising. It's just a lot more costly and, and painful financially too. 
Yeah, it's amazing the amount of money that is spent in the medical industry. And if if we became healthier as a nation and we didn't have that reliance on the, the medical so much, how much more money would there be in the economy? How, how many more people could do something else um, with careers? Uh, you know, we have all these infrastructure issues and other things, and they're always trying to scrape money together for projects. Uh, there's a lot of money that that is there, but it's all a lot of it's going into say medical stuff. So you know, we talk about making America great again. How you know Americans need to get healthy again too. <laughs> but is that possible? Because you got to you have to turn over so many industries. You got to turn over the food production industry. You've got to change the way that's that happens. And there's so much money in the. There's some great books about that, about you know the 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 big food corporations and yeah they know that the food's not good, but they're making a lot of money. So you have to change you'd have to change so many industries so really you know you have to look at it individually and say well the society is not going to change anytime soon anyway at least not near term so we have to make better decisions personally it does come down to personal responsibility there was a set of data that came out not too long ago that said that the average americans on something like a dozen or maybe even close to 20 different prescriptions and it's one of those issues where if you take one pill uh, you start to th- say, oh, well, I think I feel better. Like it's a placebo. It's a mm-hmm. false solution. You all of a sudden feel secure that your your health in this one area has improved just because you took a pill. E- even if your health didn't actually get better, you feel better about it mentally. And then you're like, well, you know what? I feel like uh, my knee hurts a little bit. I might want to get a pill for that. You know what? Uh, my liver probably needs some help. I'll take another pill for that. And then it just gets to the point where you're just snowballing pills because uh, you thought that the first one was helping you when maybe really it wasn't. And and then that sometimes there's a side effect and there's another pill that deals with the side effect and it keeps going, like you said. <laughs> this is a huge industry. And then, of course, we have the opioid crisis, which is, you know, pain medications gone awry. Uh, Mr. Armstrong says uh, this, uh, this great quote. He says, adults are babies grown up. <laughs> observe a nine-month-old baby. says, everything that comes into the baby's hands goes into their mouth. <laughs> and uh, we can be like that as adults, too. <laughs> yeah, well, and that looks interesting. Let me put it in my mouth real quick. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's it's funny. I always, uh, and uh, not to be too critical of, like, say, people that would drink soda. I've certainly done that my, at, at times, too. But I always think, well, you know, if I was walking through the woods, and I, I was just, you know, <laughs> I needed something to drink, and I had nothing. And I saw, like, a pool of water, and then I saw a pool of this bubbling black liquid. Like, which one would I think? Like, I might give that one a try. You know, and really, one would be Coke, and the other one would be, or whatever. Uh, but, you know, if you just came upon it in the wild, you'd think, what is that? But, but it's packaged nicely, and they give it to you, and people are smiling, and you see the commercials, so you drink it. Be like, what is that? Uh, you know, if you came across it just in nature, you'd be <laughs> horrified by what you saw. And isn't that the point? You wouldn't come across it in nature. Right. That, <laughs> I mean, even just that very fact just shows we shouldn't be uh, trying it too much. I mean, it is it is pleasant every, on a rare occasion. I mean, you don't have to cut out every sweet or whatever it might be, but uh, to to think that that should be our drink of choice and maybe a daily habit that's that's a uh, pretty damaging just because of the fact that it's not a natural substance it's it's something that was concocted in a laboratory where you put the right mixture of chemicals and and flavorings together yeah mr armstrong writes here in this uh, seven laws of success talking about health as an important key to to uh, being healthy it's a law he says most have grown up eating just whatever seemed to taste good and whatever they saw others eating 
there has been little education or even study about what we ought or ought, ought not to eat. And he brings up the point that, you know, we would eat some things that we think are very common and other nations would look at us and say, what are you doing? But we'd look at them and say the same thing. And so it, it's that way with a lot of things in life. It's very easy to just go along with whatever happens. You know, why do you eat a French fry? I don't know, because, you know, my uncle ate French fries. I don't, you know, you, you see it and you do it and you don't really think a whole lot about it uh, in a lot of cases. And I think a lot of people fit into that category where they don't, they don't even really know, like, oh, is this not a good thing or is it a good thing? And if you believe the advertisements, you'd think a lot of things were pretty good for you that really aren't. Yeah, true. And, I mean, certain countries do eat mice, cats, dogs, horses. I've heard of people eating different types of snakes. I mean, mm-hmm. but I mean, over here, it's pretty common to see people eat uh, lobster, oyster, all these other types of uh, shellfish and things like that. And so we we can't really cast too many stones from America to other countries that are eating cats and dogs because there are a lot of animals that we're not supposed to eat. And the Bible even uh, tells us that, but we don't pay too much attention to it. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Armstrong talks about, he says, there's other there's other laws of health, of course, sufficient sleep, as we talked about earlier, exercise, plenty of fresh air, all those things, uh, right thinking, clean living, but um, but diet is one of the biggest issues. And then he, he does get into talking about some of the extremes, though, in health you have to be careful with, you know, the fat exercise, the fat diet. I saw a fat exercise the other day, and I'm sure it's been around, but they're touting it now as something. And you're supposed to, you're supposed to mimic the movements of animals. See, you're supposed to get down on the floor and run around like you're an ape and then do, you know, and some of them I remember because then you're supposed to do the crab walk. I'm like, oh, we did that in grade school. I remember the crab walk and the bear walk and all that. (laughs) I don't know, you know, but I just thought, well, I'm not a monkey though. Like, so why would I move like a monkey? Am I trying to get monkey fit, you know, for the jungle or something? (laughs) Obviously exercise is important and, and diet's important, but there are extremes to avoid too. Yeah, I saw a couple of athletes trying that out, and they just looked really goofy. There wasn't too much benefit coming from it. It's like it's like one of those accessories that you add to a workout. It's not not it's probably not one of those things that's really going to change your life. Well, I, but the thing is, I know I'm sure somebody's listening that does it, and they're like, "Oh yeah, that monkey workout will change your life." It's like, <laughs> hey, I don't know. I'm just saying, it seems odd. Like I don't know why I would work out to be a monkey <laughs> when my body is not naturally designed to be a monkey nor am i nor are we naturally designed to sit down for 10 hours a day either mm. so there's a lot of things we do that we shouldn't but i just i saw the monkey workout and i thought why <laughs> why would i ever do that maybe it works out muscle groups that we never engage because we don't we don't get down on our hands and knees like that that's not something that ever happens like like that mountain climber exercise where you're on your hands and and feet and you just basically kick your feet out b- back and forth uh that's that's something that's pretty hard just because we don't ever do something like that so maybe maybe there's some some benefit to it but it is kind of weird to think about yeah the 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 exercise i'm the best at is the fish that just floats on the water (laughs) i do the fish one a lot i like the sloth (laughs) the sloth yeah lying on the couch yeah that actually i'm related but just so funny it reminds me of that commercial where the You've seen that where the sloth is drawing a Pictionary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're trying to figure out what it is, and it's supposed to be a tandem bicycle. He's the only s- drawn one line. The sloth is drawing. Yeah, and they ran out of time. They were trying to guess like a yeah. a stick man and stuff. So funny. Those those. So whoever comes up with those, congratulations. Those are funny <laughs> commercials. Uh, but diet is important. Uh, one of the biggest things with health and just not having uh, sicknesses and diseases in the first place. Uh, and so that's talked about a lot. And there's a lot more information here about overall health, but it is so important. Um, without health, 
he says, Herbert Armstrong says, one is uh, direly handicapped, if not totally cut off from achievement. Um, we have to have that, uh, that good uh, health, and that's the third law of success. Because, again, without it, you can have, you can have a lot of great ideas and a lot of uh, good desires and even abilities, but if you don't have the health to do it, then you can't really do much of anything. It does make a huge difference, and that's why it's a point that's pretty high up on the list. I mean, coming after choosing the right goal and having the right education, then it gets to down to actually putting all that into action. And the first action point there, if you think about it, really is all about the health. You can't even you can't even leave the starting line until the health is right, basically. Yeah, and and the reason I think you put it third is that because you do need first of all you need to make health a part of your goal. And then you have to become educated on how do you be healthy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and be smart enough again, like he talked about with the education to know true from false, because you can go to everybody and everybody's an expert. <laughs> everybody's a personal trainer, right? Or a dietitian or something. And you can get some great information, but sometimes maybe it's not the best. You know, there are some ideas out there that are pretty, pretty outlandish. Um, and so you have to know the true from the false and then base and base it all on the Bible, of course, which talks about moderation and all things. So, putting all those factors together then we can come up with some with some good understanding of health and uh, there's a lot written at the trumpet.com and also uh, pcog.org which has some really good write-ups about health and if you want more specific information and it can be one of the most enjoyable things just trying to monitor our health and improve it or just stay healthy if we're already very healthy those are actually some pretty entertaining challenges to add to life yeah makes life uh, a lot more enjoyable that's for sure so that is uh, the seven laws of success make sure you check that out we'll continue to uh, look at some of those laws as we go through the week that's all the time we have for today here on trumpet radio live thanks for spending some time with us make sure you listen for the kia david and the trumpet daily radio show those are coming your way for grant turgeon and myself dwight falk have a great rest of your day we'll talk to you tomorrow Listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.